This podcast is a production of Schweitzer, a United Methodist Church, transforming lives by making disciples of Jesus Christ. Joanne, I wanted to thank you again for volunteering your time. I know you're a busy lady, and you don't have much time for anything else. Oh, Roy, I am just so happy to do this. I mean, I have been so excited all week long about coming to work at the food pantry. I just can't wait to begin helping people in this way. Well, great. Probably what we need to do is begin to review the kind of questions that we might want to ask. When does security get here? Security? Security. You know, a officer of the law, a guard, someone to make sure that the volunteers are safe. You know, we've never had any need for security, or the police for that matter. Really? That's right. Hmm. So anyway, we do need to begin to review so that we... Are you all right? Oh, yes, I will be. Just as soon as I find... Oh, aha. My can of mace. I'm going to keep this little baby handy right back here, just in case. You know, I think you've gotten the wrong idea oh, about what... Oh, Roy, here we go. Our first customer of the day. I'll handle her. But stay close. Good morning! And how are you today? I'm good. Terrific! Welcome! Thank you. Are you here for the food pantry? Yeah, I was told I could get some food here. Well, I'm Roy. I'm Carla, and I want you to know that I, this, I won't be doing this again. This is just not something that I do. And we understand. We're just glad we can be here for you. Oh, Carla, there is nothing to be ashamed of. You just poke your head in here any old time you want. We don't judge here, all right? I don't plan to. I mean, I, I, I wasn't... Oh, uh, Roy, let's get this little lady some eats. <laughs> well, wait just a minute. There's a few things that need to be taken care of first. Carla, I would like to get a little information from you on the things that, uh, that we need to do before we can process all of this. Well... What do you need to know? I don't know. <laughs> well, you know what? I think Brad probably needs some help in the back to unloading. Oh, the I already talked to Brad this morning. He told me to come and find you. He was kind of adamant about it, really. <laughs> oh, I guess he didn't want me straining myself. <laughs> Fine. Fine. Anyway, Carla. What we need to do is, hey, that's a nice necklace you have on. Oh, thanks. You know, my wife has that, uh, likes those kind of things too. That's her taste exactly, as a matter of fact. Where did you get it? Well, I made it. You made it? Yeah, but I messed it up. Oh, wait, may I see? Why, it's gorgeous. What is that? Um, it's just ceramic tile and some beadwork around a design that I created. Oh, well, if that's the botched one, my dear, I would love to see the good ones. The ceramic tile, the beads, the design, you did all that yourself? Yeah. Well, I'm telling you what, if I were you... Oh, wait! Wait till you hear this. Two years ago, my sister lost a necklace, oh, valued at about $2,000. You'll never guess where she lost it. 
somewhere under the streets of New York City. I asked her, what were you thinking wearing an expensive piece of jewelry like that on a subway train? <laughs> well, it's just her, you know. If you knew her, you'd say, that's her. So anyway, Carla, what I was starting to ask you was, there's some different things that we need to have filled in. Oh, Carla, do you have a sister? Yeah, actually I do. She's... Oh, okay, let me tell you about mine. Usually once a month we have a huge blowout. It's usually money. Sometimes guys. <laughs> but mostly money. She never listens to a thing I have to say. She gives me migraines. Literal migraines. When I know I'm going to be with her, I load up on ibuprofen and my Serenity CDs. It's awful. Would you mind if I just got my groceries and left? Believe me, I understand. Thank you, and God bless you both. <laughs> Boy, all some people know how to do is take. She didn't even stick around long enough for us to offer her prayer. Should we pray for her now? Oh, I'm praying for somebody, all right. Thank you, drama team. Uh, that is not how our food pantry functions uh, over at Schweitzer. We have uh, a great food pantry that we host over in the Outreach Center, and we have a lot of great volunteers. We have uh, somewhere close to... Over 90 people a week volunteer at, in our food pantry. And it's, a, it's an incredible place that meets and greets a lot of people. In fact, over, um, over a number of years, we've seen the food pantry ministry at Schweitzer take on some exponential growth. Um, Ren, why don't you give us that slide that, that shows the numbers there. Back in 2003, there was a food pantry at Schweitzer that was situated back in a nondescript place that you couldn't find today if we sent, tried to send you there. It's over by a loading dock on some unique corner that almost no one knows about. Uh, but out of that place, about 25 families per month came in 2003. By the year 2010, we were seeing about 62 families a month. In 2011, the food pantry moved from that nondescript location over into the, the outreach center. And it continued to minister to more and more people. So much so that this year, uh, we are seeing somewhere close to 400 families a month go through uh, the food pantry experience and come to the doors of Schweitzer to receive some sort of help. A number of people who come are just like um, my wife's character, I forget what her name was, but I, I don't forget the name of my wife, Anna. Uh, <laughs> Carla, yeah, the character, Carla. You know, a number of people come to the food pantry for the, for the first time or for, like, it's their only time, and they're very much like that Carla character where they're, they're shy, and it's not something that they've ever experienced before in their life. It's not something that they really want to be doing or embarking upon. Um, and when they leave... I mean, they, they're greeted warmly and, and with a great welcome. They're, um, they're offered uh, assistance as they, as they find best, and they're offered prayer at the end. And they leave, many of them leave, um, with this sense of great gratitude, a thankfulness that Schweitzer's here, a thankfulness that Schweitzer has this ministry. 
And, you know, they say, thanks, I hope that I can be a part of this ministry on the other side someday, on the other end, where I can pay it forward. A lot of people use that phrase, where I can pay it forward to somebody else. And then uh, a number of other people come into that food pantry, and they've, they're in our system. You know, they've been here before. And they come back, and, and they express gratitude that we're here, a, a great deal of gratitude that we're here. They, they know that they can depend upon us. They know that we're reliable. And sometimes those conversations end with like, I'll see you again in four months. Uh, as the numbers of people continue to grow, of people who come to our food pantry, and as those, those conversations that end with like, we'll see you again in four months, or when we can come back again, a number of, a number of people around Schweitzer have begun to ask the question, what's taking place? I mean, we know that it's a real blessing that the Lord has entrusted a growing number of people to come to our doors. In fact, in many ways, we kind of feel like um, the, the steward that Jesus talks about in one of the parables where, where a master is going away, a landowner is going away, and he draws three servants in and he entrusts to one five talents, to another three, to another one. We know that the Lord is has, entrusting has a number of talents to us because the, the numbers continue to grow. But as those numbers grow, we begin to ask the question, um, are we seeing people, uh, are we seeing people encounter the transformation that we say we want to see when people enter, enter Schweitzer? In fact, if you, uh, if you go around the building, you'll see a number of blue signs and it has on it our mission statement that, say, that says we're talking about we want to see tra transforming lives by making disciples of Jesus Christ as we worship, grow, and serve. So as we think about that mission statement, we begin to see these numbers of people growing. And so out of that mission statement, some of these questions have been asked. Like, go to that next slide. Um, how are we seeing people's lives changed? Are we seeing people connected to the way of Jesus? Are we, um, are we seeing people... Come to us, find some help, and then, and then, you know, really thrive in some form or fashion. Or from time to time, we be, we've begun to run into this thought that maybe, just maybe, we might in fact be contributing to the cycle of dependency that is taking place within our, within our community at large. So, with that increasing number with some of those questions, there were uh, a number of us who were pulled together about nine months ago. And we said, we've got, to, we've got to attend to this question with some depth. We've got to listen closely. We've got to dis discover what's happening in our world. And we've got to begin having conversations with other people who are seeing similar things within our community and see how they're responding. And really... Really, we've got to pay attention to that sense of mission and of ministry that we think God has given us, and that is to see lives transformed. As we did that, as we brought a group of people together that we actually we called the Skunk Works team. Um, now, that doesn't sound like a very fun name, but it actually, um, I would recommend that you just Google that at some point today. In fact, you could probably Google it now. You could discover where Skunk Works came from, what the history of it is. It's a... It's a name for a research and development group that uh, 
that was developed back during World War II. Uh, anyway, you, you can figure out the rest from there. So we brought this team together, and we said, how do we, how do we address this? What are the things we ought to be asking? What, what should we be looking at? And as this team came together, we began to also look at Scripture. And one of the Scriptures that we began to look at and served as a good guide for us was the book of Nehemiah. And so if you have your Bibles today, I'd like for you to turn to Nehemiah 1, or if you've got a you know, phone or iPad, something like that, turn to Nehemiah 1. And I'd like to walk through this passage just briefly with you to sort of share the process that the Skunk Works team went through. And then I want to um, highlight some things that we've come away from. And, and, and what we'd really like to do today is invite you to go on a journey. Go on a journey over the next four weeks, but not just the next four weeks. But begin to um, sense and feel and think about what, what God would have us do and would have us bear as a responsibility to Him in, in this community and through something that we're calling the Transformation Hub. So Nehemiah starts off this way. Nehemiah chapter 1 starts off this way. These are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hekeliah. In late autumn, um, just note that too. These are the memoirs of, of Nehemiah. So the, the entire book is the memoirs of a guy by the name of Nehemiah who will be very influential in the life of Israel beginning around the time of 450 uh, B.C. Uh, he's the son of Hakaliah. And, and what takes place takes place in the in late autumn in the month of Kislev in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign. He says, I was at a fortress, the fortress of Susa. Uh, Han and I, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. And I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about things that were going on in Jerusalem. Um, Nehemiah is a Jew. 140 years by the time Nehemiah's life, uh, there was a guy by the name of King Nebuchadnezzar who with a great army came into Jerusalem and tore the place apart, tore the walls down, burned the gates, tore the temple down, carried off a bunch of people into captivity. Nehemiah's ancestors would have been carried off into captivity. Nehemiah, when he's born, he's born in a, in a foreign land, not in the land of his, uh, of his, of his lineage. And he is, uh, well, he's, he's a Jew. He's somebody who hears the stories of Moses, who hears the stories of God uh, leading Moses and delivering a people out of captivity from Egypt and taking them to the promised land. And Nehemiah looks at his own life and he says, I think we have some similarities of being captives in a foreign land and of waiting for something to happen so that we could return to the land that God promised us. Uh, Nehemiah knows about the rise and the fall of Israel, about the glory days with King David and Solomon. And then he knows about how people walked away from God. And he uh, knows about the destruction. And he also knows that there was this guy by the name of Ezra, who was a priest, about 12 years before this encounter, Ezra, who got the permission of Artaxerxes, the king of Persia, to take a, a group of people back to Jerusalem to begin rebuilding the temple and rebuilding the city. So Nehemiah has this great story behind him, this great concern, this great interest in the land of Israel, in the city of Jerusalem, and in the people who've returned to that place. His history, his heritage is back there. Also the sense of promise, because one of the other things that Nehemiah knows is he knows that the prophets, the prophets who talked about, um, who talked about how they were going to go into captivity, also promised that someday, someday, God would raise up 
out of this land of Israel, God would raise up a shoot out of the stump of Jesse. That's Isaiah's, Isaiah's metaphor. In other words, that there was this tree that was cut off that would rise again. There was something that was going to be rebuilt. And so Nehemiah anticipated that. Nehemiah knew the, the prophecy of Ezekiel, where Ezekiel said there is this city. Now the city's been torn apart, but the city of Jerusalem is going to be a city where healing comes to the nations at some point. And so Nehemiah is somebody who's heard those stories. And that's beating within his heart. That passion is there within him. And so he asks his brother, who's been to Jerusalem, who's been to Judah, he says, how is it going with the people who are in Jerusalem? And his brother returns with these words. He tells him this story. He, they said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem has torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Essentially, his brother says, nothing's changed. Nothing at all has changed. The people who went back, they encountered roadblocks on every side. Every time they encountered a roadblock, their, their ambition, their fortitude continued to diminish. The only thing that has been built is a mountain of disgrace and despair. Nehemiah is, is troubled deeply within his own heart. And so, what do you think Nehemiah does when he's troubled, when he hears this story? Now, now, mind you, at the end of this chapter, he's going to tell us that he's the cupbearer to the king. Oh, but the first thing Nehemiah does before he ever talks with the king or anything else, he says that he does this. Um, go to ch there, here we go. When I heard this, he said, I sat down and I wept. In fact, for days I mourned, I fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. Listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family. And I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. That if, if you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are ex exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. The people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. Nehemiah says, O Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put into his heart to be kind to me. And in those days, Nehemiah says, I was the king's cupbearer. Nehemiah prays. It's not a um, prayer that is, that is uh, just focused on him or focused on Israel or focused on Jerusalem in that day. It's a prayer that is, is deep and it's thoughtful and it, it, it's like he understands uh, sort of his place in history. He understands what has happened when people obey God and when people fall away from God. And so Nehemiah understands where he's at. He says, God, he says, we've been taken off into captivity. He said, would you do a work of restoration? You promised, oh God, through Moses, you promised that if we return to you with our whole heart, you would restore us. On the front of your Pray, Study, Grow, there's a circle, and there's a diagram that's present there. Uh, this circle and diagram comes out of a book by the, by the title, When Helping Hurts. And what the, the writers of the book describe about the circle is they describe in, in one sense what Nehemiah understands about the, the extent of how 
of, of what sin does. Sin busts a bunch of relationships. And so um, you'll see this, this diagram here and then also on your pre study grow that when sin enters in relationships, uh, relationships are broken. And the fissure extends to a number of places. And Nehemiah knows that, right? But he also knows that when, when people return to God, uh, when they pay attention to him, God begins to set these relationships right. And the relationships uh, that God begins to set right, it's more than just like uh, us and God, or it's more than just like a people with God. But God, in fact, desires to do a new thing, a creative thing, a beautiful thing of restoring the entire cosmos. And so one of the things you'll see is, is that when there's a restoration relationship, things begin to go right um, with others and with the rest of creation. And even within ourselves, we begin to have a sense of, of joy and peace. In fact, the, in the Old Testament, they often talked about when everything is restored, there is shalom. Now, we translate shalom as peace, but shalom means much more than peace. Shalom is it's like um, everything is right in the world. And it's not just right in the world in, in that everything is beautiful for you and going well for you, but it's like the bird's sing crisp and clear and the birds are uh, rejoicing in all that God has done. And it's not just the birds, but it's like the trees meet the rising of the sun with, with great expectancy and vibrancy. And the neighbors around you are not um, putting up fences because they don't like you, but the neighbors around you are blessing you because you bring joy and you bring happiness. Um, it's like well, I mean, we can go on and go on, but, but you know what it's like when everything is right. That's what shalom is. So Nehemiah anticipates shalom, and he longs for shalom. And when shalom comes, all of these things begin to find their right groove, their holy groove. Nehemiah, um, the story of Nehemiah began to be, for that research and development team, that Skunk Works team, began to be very important for us. As we began to look at the reality that our numbers keep rising at the food pantry. And our concern about people seeing their lives transformed is rising also. And so one of the things that we began to do is we, we began to take an interest. You know, God is interested in everybody. And there's nobody that God isn't interested in. There's nobody that's ever been born on this green earth that God has not taken profound interest in. So we began to pay attention to what God is interested in. And we began to listen. Nehemiah listens, right? He asks questions about how is it back in Jerusalem. We began to ask questions. We asked questions of a lot of, a lot of people. We began to, to pay heed. This, uh, you cannot see. All the people that we've engaged conversation in up here, the list is too long. In fact, we couldn't even put everybody that we entered into conversation with on that list. Uh, but what we went... Close by, and we went far away. Some of us went, and we talked with this guy by the name of Matthew, who's at a place in, um, in L.A. called Homeboy Industries. And we talked with people who were, who were right down the street. I had a great conversation with the guy who owns a Purple Burrito up on National and, and Division. Profound story. If you want to talk to somebody who's, who's excited about Springfield, go talk to the guy who owns a Purple Burrito up on the corner of, of Division and National. Love Springfield. Sees great opportunity, great promise here. Did I get those? Yeah, that's the right cross-section, isn't it? Yeah. 
had a great conversation with a guy who owns Big Mama's Coffee. If you want a good coffee shop, go to Big Mama's Coffee. If you want to understand about what's happening in our community, enter into a conversation with Lyle Foster, who owns that place. Incredible things that you learn when you begin to enter into conversation. We came away with a lot, and we'll be sharing more in the next four weeks some of the things that we came away from. What were some of the things that we began to learn in the midst of this journey? Um, the other thing that we did was uh, we began to pray. Because as we listened, as we heard what was going on, we realized that there is, there is a need that exists within our community that is huge and ginormous. And along the way, uh, it became rather uh, this thing that you, in some ways you just like to walk away from and just say it's not there, we can't, it's too big for us. We really don't know what to do with it. And yet... And yet, we know this, that when Nehemiah saw, uh, when Nehemiah heard and he saw what was happening in Jerusalem, he simply went to prayer. When we have encountered um, the bigness of, of the need within our own community, the reality is, is that we have had to pray. And we are praying. And there are prayers of confession, there are prayers of pleading, there are prayers of, like, Lord, if you don't do something in our midst, um, we're simply going to see an exponential rise of people who come to our pantry. But we're not sure that we're going to do anything to get people off of that treadmill. And we think you want to help. We think you, Father, want people off of the treadmill and onto a different path in life. So here's the part that I want to ask you to play. In the next four weeks, I want you to take interest I want you to pay heed. I want you to begin to ask questions about what's happening in our world, what's happening in our city, what's happening all around us. Uh, on the back of your Pray, Study, Grow, there are a number of questions that are, that are printed there. I'd love for you to begin having conversations with your neighbors, with the people that live close to you, with people that you just encounter somewhere on the street. Begin to have questions um, like these that are on the back of this, of this Pray, Study, Grow. Uh, ask people what they love, what, are they, um, what kinds of qualities they have. See, because when you begin to ask questions, you begin to learn what's happening in the world around you. And so I want to encourage you to embark on asking questions. I also want to encourage you to, um, to pay heed to what God is up to in this world, to be interested in whom God is interested in. You know, God is, God is interested in everybody because everybody bears the image of God. Everybody even if you can't see it, if you don't understand it, if it looks like it's buried deep within, everybody, everybody, everybody bears the image of God. And at some point, at some point, all of us know the brokenness of that circle that's on the front side. At some point, all of us are impoverished in some of our relationships. At some point, we're all weak. At some point, we all need the grace of God. And so be interested in the things that interest God. And finally... <clears throat> I'd like to encourage you to be about the business of prayer. Begin praying. There's a prayer on the inside of your Pray, Study, Grow that you could use. But um, as you drive around town, you, know, you come up to those places around town and you see people holding signs, right? And they have part of their story on them. And something wants to move your hand to give. Um, if, you, if you want to give or don't give, that, that's up to you. But let me encourage you to do this. Begin praying when you see people who have a sign who tell part of their story. Begin praying 
Say, Lord, what is it that you want me to hear and see and know? Begin praying when you, when you walk down the street. Begin praying when you realize that people enter our food pantry every day from 9 to, to 2. If you want a time to pray, uh, pick some time between 9 and 2, Monday through Thursday, to pray for the food pantry. Because people are coming there and they're telling their story. It's a story that um, for many of them is hard to tell. Begin praying. And in the midst of your prayer, ask the Lord, what is it that you would have us do? What, what would you have us embark upon? The other thing I'd ask you to pray for is I'd ask you to pray for people who are interested in the things that God is interested in. I was talking with somebody this week and they said, you know, we are at a point uh, where we don't necessarily need a, a bunch of money to help make things happen in our world. In fact, one of the things that we discovered, um, and, and I'll uh, sort of say this at the end, one of the things we discovered, the last thing we discovered, is that somebody told us we have lots of programs functioning in our community, but what is missing in all kinds of places is the capacity to have a relationship with another person. That is, to be with somebody else. And so I would ask you to pray for people who are open to being with others. Um, the Transformation, the, the Skunk Works team, we've done a lot of listening. We've, been, we've done a lot of praying. And one of the things we did at the end was we came to a sense of vision. What is it we think that God would have for the Transformation Hub as a whole to engage Schweitzer, but not just engage Schweitzer, but to help Schweitzer engage our community. And so this is a, is a sentence or a vision. It's printed on the front of your prayer study. Grow. It says, to release, empower, and grow the human potential in our neighbor and ourselves for the glory of God, the flourishing of our community, and the transformation of the world through Jesus Christ. Um, that seems like a lot. There is a lot packed into that one sentence, and we'll unpack it a little bit as we go along over the next three weeks. But I will tell you this. There's been one song that I've, I've become aware of. I've become aware of it because I heard it on the radio, and then there's a person in my own home who started to play it. And it's a song that sort of is, serves as a summary of what we think Transformation Hub could and what we hope it will do. And that is it will engage, will engage people in being about what God asks us to do, and that is to thrive. And so... As we come to a point in our service where we're going to close out here in just a minute, I would like for you to listen this morning. I'd like for you to pray this morning as Moses and Tim play this song, Thrive for Us.